Good evening, good evening. Welcome to another episode of Shoot the Defense on No Chofters. I'm still, I've got Steve Air down here, the, the pretty Steve Air. He's looking suave tonight. Look at him. He's all he's all swagged out. How are you doing, Steve? You good? Very well, are you? I'm, I'm really looking forward to uh, speaking with you again, but really excited to uh, hear from tonight's guest still. Absolutely, mate. Well, I'll tell you what, why don't, why don't you do the honours again? Because you did it so well last week. I think well, you should do it again. This I week. wouldn't want I wouldn't want to undersell it, but uh, he is a friend of mine, Alex Dyer. Uh, and if I take it back to the start, a, a fantastic young player. Um, it was Crystal Palace. He was Hull City. He was Blackpool. Um, I'm sure I'll we can can add to that later, but more so onto his coaching career. Um, he's won a League One title with Charlton, with one of the best title wins League One has seen. Uh, probably in the last 10 or 15 years with Chris Powell. Um, he came into my life as a coach. We were we paired up with Chris Powell at Huddersfield, so we spent some good coaching time together. But since then, Alex has been up in Scotland. Uh, he's been into Europe, he's been into Greece, but actually the probably thing that catches the eye most is that he's been an international coach with Scotland. So his, uh, his knowledge is wide and, and varied. His experience is, is immense. His friendship is, is is very dear to me, but most of all, um, I'd like to still think there's still have a lot of potential and a lot of coaching left in him. There's uh, a lot of work to be done, and um, but he's got he's got more than more than most behind him, that's for sure. Thank you very much, Steve. Appreciate that. Really nice. You made me want to cry, mate. <laughs> <laughs> nice on the heart. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you. Well, Alex, thank you ever so much for for joining us on the podcast. And you know, as I was telling you before. Your time at Crystal Palace, uh, mate, you played with some incredible players and one of them being Ian Wright. I know a lot of people are going to be like, oh, Crystal Palace, were they, were they a good team? Yes, they were a fantastic team, especially in the late 80s, early 90s. But can you tell us a little bit about Ian Wright, as, as far as you remember anyway? Uh, to be fair, I saw him the other day um, for the first time for, for a long while and went to a show uptown, um, my cousin, that England show. Um so it was a good, great show. Watched it well. He was there. Um, so we caught up a little bit, uh, reminisced a little bit. But at the time, he was a good player, hungry. You know, came out of non-league and just wanted to win. Training was the same as how he played in games. He just wanted to win every every training session, every game in training. Just wanted to, to score the winning goal. That was just him. Um wasn't wasn't fighting to hurt you on the pitch. Uh, would give you verbals, you know. Wanted you to, and I played out wide for him. So the demands were get the ball in the box, you know. And if you don't cross it, he'll come for you. So it was it was pressure time, but it was brilliant time. Changing room was was lively as anything. We had some good characters in there. Uh, Mark White, obviously Andy Gray, Jeff Thomas, um, John Pemberton. They were good lads. Um, and it was just a good time, good time. And obviously, we got promoted from the, the old first division, sorry, from the old championship, and then got into the Premier League. And it, it was brilliant, brilliant time. And Steve mentioned your time coaching the Scottish national team, some fantastic players, uh, Scott McTominay being one of them, yes. uh, Tierney, and also Robertson. I know we've got a lot of Liverpool fans watching. What can you tell us about this player? Andy, brilliant, good character, um, really good football, good leader in the changing room, um, on the pitch as well. 
um, just drive the squad. I mean, when I, I, I was there for, I think, about four or five games. And then I obviously got offered the job at Kilmarnock, so I had to leave. But you could see what um, the gaffer was building, um, got them got them together, um, training as we did in, for Kilmarnock. He trained the same way as he did international wise. You know, it wasn't it wasn't a jolly out when you you came came to the international. It was a proper setup. And um, if you was there, you had to work and you had to, you know, not mad work, not like you do an, every day for like a your club side, but you know. It, he would always say, look, you come here to work. You want to play for your country. It's the biggest honour ever. So you have to treat it that way. And everyone bought into that. And then it slowly started to turn. You could see where they're at, they're at now. They're just a really good outfit. And hopefully they'll qualify in the Euros. And uh, one more thing before we move on to the Premier League. You coached at Aris in Greece with uh, Mr. Pardew. Correct. Yeah, there, there are a lot of viewers here that support the same club as me in Cyprus, and that's Amoni and Katia. And you coach two players of interest. First one is is Mancini, who was linked with Amoni last year. What can you tell us about this player? Wonderful footballer, um, great lad, um, good ability, and just unbelievable. Um, and will go on. Um, I think when I left, I think he he was injured, if I remembered when the um, and a long-term in- injury, um, so he should be back for hopefully for pre-season and get himself fired up and going. But very, very wonderful, wonderful footballer. Um, can the set the ball, can switch play, can score goals. He can play number ten. He can play down, down, down the flanks. You know, so really good footballer, really good footballer, and a good human being, which is most important. Absolutely, from what I've heard, anyway, and. Also, there's a player linked with Omonia this summer, and it's a central midfielder that had the spell in Serie A, and that's Dabo. Uh, um, do you know much about this player? Obviously, you do, but in terms yeah. of his ability and yeah, yeah, because I think he he played in England as well, if I remember, um, for Birmingham, I think it was. Um, good player, tall. Um, he's a bit of a musician, actually. He wants he plays two or three instruments. Um, he's midfielder up and down, um, good on the ball, um, and and what we thought he could play more to his strength because he's tall, athletic, and he could get in the box more and score more goals. Um, and he's a very good player and a good like, once again a good good person to have around. And the final question I have: you you were coaching in Bulgaria, so I guess you know what the the landscape is like in terms of the fans, in terms of the way that attitudes are, but. With Greece, was there anything different to Bulgaria? And also, was it a bit of an eye-opening experience being out there? Because, listen, there's a club out there that, you know, they do things a certain way. I'm not going to talk about yes. them. But um, you being in Thessaloniki with Bark as the main rivals, I guess that was a bit of a fiery encounter as well. Oh, unbelievable. The atmosphere at the games. I mean, we went to Palkan. We lost 1-0. Um, but we had no supporters. You can't have no supporters, no away supporters. It is it is frightening. Um, but it's like 30,000. The atmosphere is carnival. You know, they're at it. Even when you're driving to the to the ground, it's it can be scary, but it is a great feeling. Um, 
it's not like it's not like Bulgaria. Bulgaria was different because the atmosphere was still good, especially when we got into the cup final. The Bulgaria cup final was outstanding, two major rivals. Um, but but the atmosphere is different. Atmosphere in Bulgaria is a bit toxic. When in in Greece it is, but it's they just want to they just want to win games. And there was no we had no problems in Greece. Well, I didn't have any problems in Greece. Um, people were nice. Great place to live, um, and would go back again. Brilliant. And and just one more question: in in terms of atmospheres out in Greece, from what you experienced, which stadium or which club would you say had the most intimidating one? I think I know which one you're going to say, but just for the benefit of our viewers, well, Panathinaikos. Oh yeah, Panathinaikos was. We went there, and it was. Oh man, the atmosphere! They beat us again, one 0 last minute goal. Um, but they all—all all the major clubs there, um, Olympiakos, um, which was daunting. But the stadium's lovely. Panathinaikos is a bit older, the stadium, and it's a bit more traditional. Um, Olympiakos is is quite new. It's you know, it's it's a modern stadium like you have in England. Mm. Um, Pauk again, because it was the local rivalry, was probably the one. That was a bit more frightening because everyone just builds it up. Don't don't be out on the street when you when the two rivals are playing. Blah blah blah. You know, what I mean, if you lose, stay in your house. Don't go out for a couple of days. You know, but it it, it was just great. It was great. I like, like I said, I did enjoy the time there. Would Steve enjoy that kind of atmosphere? Yeah, would he would enjoy. Be, it? Yeah. He would love it. He would love it. He loved the football because you know, most of all, we love to coach. And um, apart from all the, the football, like the politics outside of, you know, the training sessions, you'd go into training and you'd love the training. You love mm. being with the players. It's the same all over the world. You know, you you, you go into the training centre and you organise your, your training and the players just love, just want to coach. They just want a coach that's organised and put on good sessions and they go away feeling happy. Um, it's, it's horrible when you go to a club and the training's not organised, and you know players players know they sniff it out and they know, and that's why sometimes managers don't stay around too long. Fantastic, brilliant, brilliant. Uh, that's that's intriguing. I'm sure many of our viewers watching are going to be quite interested to hear what you have to say about the players and especially the atmosphere in Greece. We do have friends in Greece, so. Yeah, it's it's um it's great to hear you have a lot of positive things to say yeah, about the league it. because there's a, there's a lot of negative stuff going on about it, that place as well, you know. Yeah, I know, but it was yeah. good. I enjoyed it. But we won't talk about that. We won't talk yeah. About that. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about the Premier League and Steve. Let's begin with Manchester United and David de Gea. We know that Mason Mount is officially a United player. He's got the number seven shirt. We spoke about him last week, but David de Gea has officially announced his departure from the club. There were stories that the club offered him a new contract, then they pulled out, which is a little bit unprofessional, I think, if it's true, that is. But do you think it, it's maybe one or two years too late for him to leave? Or is it the right time? I think it's the right time. Um, I think he's uh, obviously not a goalkeeper that um, shows age um, or carries any weight like, like footballers and goalkeepers. Uh, you know, once you get past an age of 30 possibly can gain. Uh, he's not that type. Um, but I do think that the game has moved on, despite the fact that he's still one of the best shot stoppers from his line. 
this has always been a goalkeeper that doesn't come for set plays, which is why Manchester United uh, have conceded so many in recent years. And he actually got a little bit better with his feet. But in comparison to the rest of the Premier League goalkeepers and goalkeepers across Europe, he's quite poor with his feet and building from the back like most of the best teams are doing now. And supposedly Ten Hag wants to to do so. Uh, So there was um, a shelf life for Harry Maguire and there's a shelf life for David De Gea. Um, Nobody's disputing what he can do with his hands. And for many, many, many years, it was almost all my life, that was obviously the main part of the job. But the way the game is changing now, we, you only have to look at Brighton, who had a specialist in Sanchez, who nobody, people, not many had heard of. And he actually lost his place to Luke Steele simply because he's better with his feet. Shows you how the game is going at the top of the Premier League. And I don't think as the game evolves that David De Gea is Manchester United's future. It's the right time to shake hands and go. Alex, a lot of people have been critical of David De Gea, myself included, not because of the mistakes that he's made, especially recently. When he joined United, he was a a, a bit of a small guy. You could tell he needed to hit the weights. Obviously, the game in Spain is much different to the Premier League, the physicality, etc., etc. But maybe the mistake I've made with David De Gea is that I've compared him too much to Peter Schmeichel, and you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't compare him to to the greats, because it's not fair. But he's never had the command of his area. He seems to be very... Uh, cautious when it comes to collecting the ball for for crosses and his starting position has always been a bit iffy for me so I I personally think he should have left sooner it's done now he's he's left now but what do you make of his time at Manchester United winning winning one one league title anyway overall I think he's had a good time at Man United I think um, as you can see I think he's won four or five player of the seasons and that says a lot you know that your peers supporters think you're worthy of being there so um, I mean I've seen him I'm not a Man United supporter in that sense but I've seen him save Man United a few on a few occasions Um, so I think he's been it's worth his while that he's been there Um, I agree with Steve that I think it's time that he moves on Um, and, and Man United need to freshen up and look look to play differently and obviously like everyone else is playing from the back and they need a goalie which is comfortable on their feet but overall his time at Man United been been brilliant to be fair and um, I think he, he deserves to just go on now and enjoy his football wherever he goes Is a move to Saudi Arabia on the cards then gentlemen because that's where everyone seems to be going at the moment <laughs> well, It could do but he could obviously go back to Spain you would think uh, you couldn't I wouldn't imagine it would be Barcelona or Real Madrid. Um, But yeah, he's he's earned the right to have a good contract somewhere else for two or three more years. You know, again, talking about him not carrying any weight, you know, a lot of goalkeepers can play up to the age of 40 these days. You'd imagine him with his body weight that he'd be able to play for a long, long time. He might not be at the peak of his powers, but he's earned the right to go and get a contract, you know, in a different climate, shall we say, at least... Um, on the back of Manchester United improving, getting back into the top four, winning the League Cup. Um, and obviously, he had an opportunity to be a hero in the uh, in the final where he, he didn't save one penalty out of 11 yeah. and actually missed the penalty for United to uh, for the Europa League against Villarreal. But that won't be defining his legacy because he's got 12 years of 
largely excellent work, I think. He's earned the right to go somewhere else. It'll be somewhere good and it'll be somewhere big. Yeah, I mean, Saudi, Saudi, you have to mention Saudi these days because, Mm. you know, I mean, all the top players, they're not even old anymore going out there, you know, because the money is so good Um, and they're they're driving that that football scene out there. So I I won't surprise me if someone's already said to him, come out there. It won't surprise me whatsoever. And rightly so, if he, if he feels that's where he wants to go, and because he's not Spain number one anymore, he's not. I don't even think he's Spain yeah. number two. So why not? Why not go and fill your boots? Absolutely, absolutely. Well, for everyone watching live, don't forget to uh, leave a comment. Let us know what you think about David Hare's departure from Manchester United. The final question, gentlemen, on the matter, in terms of David Hare's stock now. Steve said he won't be going to Barcelona. He won't be going to Real Madrid. That. that ship has sailed a long time ago when the fax machine broke so famously so where do you guys rate him now in terms of top goalkeepers in the world because I think there's a lot more ahead of him at this current uh, moment in time no he's not well we could do it between us but he wouldn't be in the top he wouldn't be in the top 20 for me I reckon between us three now we could name 20 better Um, shall we do it yeah shall we do it no (laughs) <laughs> well, 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 there's there's two there's two at Brighton, one at Manchester City, one at Liverpool for a step for, yeah, for four right. for a start. So there's a quarter. Is Ramsdale better? Do you think? Yes. Pickford. Yes. Uh, who else? Who we got? Who we got? Oh, uh, Pope. Yes. But not as good as. They're both not great. I know Pope, and again, they both have to work on their feet. That's why you know Pope is not the best. On the floor, um, but with new going to Newcastle, they just needed a good keeper to stop the ball going in the net, and he's one of the best young Popey. So, okay, I think I think David Raya at Brentford's better, definitely. Yeah, yeah. So we've how many is that? Eight? Eight? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow, that's not that, even that, that's just in the Premier League. Him, I still think someone would take him. It's always about the money and the demands of his wage. You know. Yeah. He'll probably think he's entitled to earn whatever. I mean, that Man U is probably on, I don't know, 200 plus maybe at Man U, maybe. 150, 200 at Man U. So, he's probably thinking, I could go somewhere and get that again. Good luck to him. Yeah. The game's moved on quick and it's going to be, it's going to, it's going to be getting even quicker. And I, I don't know how much development he's got left in trying to become a better footballer with his feet yeah. and I don't think he's ever going to come and demand that penalty area like you mentioned so yeah. no it's time to, time to move maybe yeah, Saudi's sure. the place then you can see it happening can't you yeah honestly yeah, okay. okay gentlemen well the next uh, subject is Anlana the Inter Milan goalkeeper it looks like he's the man to replace David De Gea and according to many people he's the perfect replacement he's the guy that Ten Hag wants he suits Ten Hag's style but it just seems to me it's another goalkeeper that can use his feet is there anything different to expect from this goalkeeper that makes him stand out ahead of say the two that you mentioned at at Brighton Steve you mean you saw him in the final um well I I think he'd be excellent I mean it's it's it's, it's top tier football you know Inter Milan to Manchester United is a is a big move um one way or or, or the other um and what it might be still, it might not be so obvious that he's a brilliant goalkeeper. He might not make as many saves as David De Gea. He really might not. 
but he, he might just be quite good as a goalkeeper. He might be excellent with his feet. And all of a sudden, Luke Shaw, uh, Varane, Wan-Bissaka, uh, the holding midfield players could be Ericsson. Um, you know, it could be uh, Casemiro, obviously. Yeah. They'll all be better for playing with a goalkeeper who's a good footballer behind them. And the unit might improve. Whereas actually the goalkeeper, the green jersey, there might not be that much difference between him and David De Gea as the green jersey. But as being a better footballer, they might be a better football team in their own half off the back of it. No, I agree. I 100% agree. Because when you do watch him, Alana, he, he is good on the feet. And he, his hands, he throws it into midfield players and they start attack straight away. And like, like as you said, like that's the modern, the modern footballers, the modern goalkeeper these days. That's all they want, you know, to start the attack um, from the back. It's quick, quick pace, you know, thread balls through. You know, they, they play balls now into midfield players when someone's right up them. Someone, they're markedly tight and they they just trust everybody, just trust trust each other. And they do that in training every day, every day, every day. And um, it just comes natural. So that's, that's the reason why they'll go and get someone like him. I can't think of any other players who would be available at the price that Manchester United are going to spend on on that goalkeeper. I mean, again, we could talk about the, the Brighton goalkeepers, but given the way that Brighton are selling players at the moment with you know incredible profit, I think it's going to take more than 40, 50 million to bring other those two players in, I believe, anyway. Yeah, prob- probably right. But um, they, they, I think they've identified... The, the the right one. It's the right it's the right move. Um and I think Manchester United will be a better team. Yeah. Oh we oh, lost him. We've lost him. We've lost him. Oh no he's back. He's I'm back. back. You know what it is I had to quickly move my, my laptop started bleeping and I was thinking oh no my battery's gonna run so I apologize. Ah it's all good. It's Sorry. all good. It's it's all good. It's all good. Well, gentlemen, let's go on to the next subject then. And that's Harry Kane. He's linked with a move to Bayern Munich, FC Bayern. Should he stay at Spurs or should he leave? Well, we know the answer to that question. But I think before we discuss that, the fee. What's the reported fee, Steve? 70-odd million? 82 million? Yeah, I think so, yeah. yeah. I think so. Is that fair? Is that fair for him? Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah, definitely. He's just had an amazing season for club and country again. Um... He's not hampered by injuries yet. When he is injured, he, he comes back and plays on injuries, I think, um, and get, seems to get over them quite quickly. Um, he's not blessed with lightning pace, so he's not likely to be obviously losing a yard or two because I think he's obviously you know steady with the speed. He's obviously quick to score a goal and he's quick in the mind. Um, no, I... I um, Still, obviously, think he's at the peak of his powers probably about now. Um, and that could last for two or three years before it goes to the wrong side of the line. So, no, that would be the right figure for me. I've got a question about something Postacoglu said in the press conference today. And you guys know better than I do. He's the new head coach at Spurs. And he said, I just want to introduce myself to Harry, give him my vision, get an understanding for him over what his vision is and try to be successful. Now, what... According to this, how it seems is that he hasn't actually spoken to the player yet. Now, he's a new head coach. It's his star player. You would have thought he's had a conversation with him over the phone or, I don't know, 
pigeon mail. I, I, I don't know. Does that seem a bit odd to you guys that he says that he hasn't spoken to him or do you think he's bluffing? Go on, Al. I, I think maybe he might have touched base. Do you know, maybe. But nothing, just to say hello over the phone or whatever. Um, and maybe not. I mean, everyone that I spoke to about Ange, he's like, everyone says he's, a, he's honest as they come. You know, he's, he's a good... He's a good man management, man management player uh, for players. So if he says that he hasn't spoken to him, then you have to take his word for it. I think he just let the let Harry Kane do his bit, you know, go on holiday, relax, and then when he comes back, you know, um, you know, talk to him and, and and refresh him and 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 show him his vision how he wants it. I mean, if I was Harry Kane, I got one year left on my contract. I, I don't see the problem. I, that you should even stay, stay for one year and go next year. There's, I don't see why everyone thinks, oh, you should just leave right now. Um, I'd stay, stay, and then if I feel that I want to go, then I'll go at my own, my time. You know, it's one year to go. He can walk away next year, free, still fit, still healthy, still scoring goals. Imagine if he bags 30 goals again this year. You know, so who, who, who would not take him for nothing? You know what I mean? You would. Man United would take him again, you know. Um, anywhere in Europe, Bayern Munich would wait a year. They said they would wait a year anyway, even though they don't get him this year. So um, I, I would sit pretty, see, see what the season lies. And if Spurs have a good season, you know, you can still, your stock's never going to drop. You know, and even if he doesn't score 20 goals again, you know, he might score 15. Someone's still going to take Harry Kane. I think with Harry Kane's situation is, I agree with you in the in the respect that anyone would want Harry Kane, especially a Harry Kane that, you know, even if he is 50% uh, mm-hmm. at that level. Do you get what I'm saying? Because he's a fantastic striker, but... A couple of years ago, we were talking about him possibly going to Man City, Steve. You know, we were joking, calling him Citizen Kane, you know. And obviously, that didn't happen. City then obviously got Haaland and the rest is history. But something tells me that Harry Kane might end up feeling a little bit like Alan Shearer in the sense that he could have done so much more if he got the move at the right time or if he decided to move at the right time. And maybe that is the one thing that is going to stop Harry Kane from wanting to stay at Spurs, knowing that the league is getting even more competitive. And Spurs really haven't moved much in this window so far. And when you look at everyone else, I don't know, man. I don't know. I think it's something for him to be a bit selfish. Well, it probably is. And it certainly certainly will be on his mind. And he's, he's, he's a, a great professional and team player, but there's no doubt about it. He'll be selfish with his approach through the week, the way he dedicates his, his, his mind and his body to the task of trying to score a goal and trying to be the hero and trying to be the golden boot and trying to break England records. You know, you have to be selfish and single-minded to be that type of player anyway. So it, it won't ever be not on his mind, but equally, um, emotionally, there is still an attachment. There is, um, you know, the, the time spent at Tottenham, you know, the legacy, the statues, um, probably going to be the next manager in not the next manager probably going to be manager of Tottenham if he wants to be when he finishes playing mm-hmm. um and obviously that clamor for silverware and medals like you say but 
you know, life is life is a path and that you have to walk down sometimes. And, and, you know, whilst you give the best advice that you should walk your own path sometimes, especially with your career, it's very difficult to move sometimes. And, and, and th that appears to be the case. And when there's a stumbling block and an irritation should have go, should have not, and it just doesn't happen, you just get on with it and stay where you're absolutely loved because a lot of footballers aren't. So to be adored, to be well paid, to be the captain, to have a you know to be a legend for life, there's still a lot to like for staying for Spurs. Yeah, oh, good point. Very good point. A very good point. I mean, at the end of the day, he's not he's not hurting. You know what I mean? He comes in every day, trains. They said he's a good trainer. He's got good attitude. You know, he's not like he's not going to be one of them who's going to spit the dummy out and not train properly. He does everything right. So. You know, so I said I would stay another year and see how it goes, and then at the end of the day, then you then you can call it from your side. You know, what I mean, at this present time, he's not in control or anything because Levy saying to him, "I want you to stay, and you're not going to another Premier League club. If you're gonna go, you're gonna go out. You're going out out of the country. So, you know, or or he wants hundred million for him. You know what I mean? So you might as well go. Well, I might as well stay, work hard, have another good season, and then. This time next year, you know, you can go anywhere you want to go. Just a quick question, lads. As well. I wouldn't want to disrespect any football and, and not German football, but Stel, you mentioned, you know, about him being ambitious to, you know, to carry on doing what he's doing or to go and win something. Surely that only applies if he moves to another English club where you've got, you know, Manchester City, um, League Cups, FA Cups, Premier League titles. Obviously, if you go to Bayern Munich, you have got a realistic chance of going deep in mm. the Champions League, you know. But, you know, do you want to beat Schalke and uh, do you want to beat Wolfsburg in their League Cup final just to get a trophy, just to get just to get a medal? Or do you want to keep going at Spurs to try and win an FA Cup, to try and win a League Cup? And let's not forget, they have actually been to a Champions League final. So, I know it seems a long time ago now, um, and certainly for Tottenham fans, it doesn't seem close. But just to go and chase a medal... Would you leave the country for it? Obviously, it's for the biggest prize of all, the Champions League. But it would also be a hell of a risk because you've no guarantee of doing that. Yeah, you mm. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Although it's it's Bayern Munich. Yeah. I understand their dominance in the in the Bundesliga. And they, they won the title on the final day of the season this year. So it, it was a, a tight one. I, I think they're going to coast it again next season, personally. Especially with you know Leipzig losing their best players, Dortmund now losing Jude Bellingham, it will probably be less competitive, I believe. But you know, in that respect, if they do walk the league and they win it with I don't know five or six games to go, and they're deep in the Champions League, you know, it's resting Harry Kane, giving him the opportunities when when he needs to play. Thomas Tuchel's doing okay, I guess. They're still going to be bringing in players. I think. Yeah, I understand where you're coming from. But at the same time, is it five teams that are going to the Champions League in England next season because of the new format? Not sure. I, I think you're right. You know. I think it's, it's five. Yeah. So if, you, if you're looking at it, you've got City, Arsenal, say United, Newcastle, then you've got Liverpool, then you've got Chelsea. Mm, I, I don't know. I don't know where Spurs fit into this equation. I, I don't know. I guess obviously time will tell, but... That's one. That's one more season out of the Champions League when he can be in it now, and then then he's gambling, trying to get into the Champions League this season in the hope that happens next season. 
He's in the driving seat. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. He's in the driving seat. Winning a German title is a big thing. It's not, you know, to go to any country and win and win their league title is is a massive thing. You know, mm. we stay here in England and think it's England is the best. But when you go, like I say, you go, you travel and you go around, you, you do realize what it means to a football club to win your league in your country. It, it's massive. So um, for him to go to Bayern and, and pick up a a cup or pick up a, a league title, it's, it's, a, it's a big thing. You know, you want to win, you want to win, though. You want to win trophies. Yeah. And, and I think the other thing that Steve Steve mentioned, which is a, is a good point in terms of, you know, maybe he can stay to try and win a cup, to try and win a league cup, FA Cup or whatever. But... He's been trying for the past how many years? Yeah. So at what point is he going to say, oh, "I want to go now"? <laughs> I've yeah. tried. But there's also, there's only one goals. club. There's only one club in England that realistically need a centre forward, and that's Manchester United. Out of the, out of the big boys, yes. everybody else has everybody else has got one, two, three. Manchester United have got Marcus Rashford, whose best position is right foot, left wing, and they've got Anthony Martial. So you know that will always make me think that. United will be the club that he would go to uh, rather than go abroad, I really think. The, the thing is, I will say about that is, I think that the only the only United striker we can talk about that fits that Ten Hag style of play is that Veghorst, right? Because he's that, that was his signing. So, I'm going by that. I don't think Martial is, is his kind of player, but Harry Kane is a very different player to Veghorst. Clearly, he's levels ahead for a start, but he likes to move into those pockets of space. He likes to drop deep. Veghorst wasn't really doing that, was he? So well, he was, Still, he was. He was because he wasn't doing it when he was the centre forward. But then they actually started to play Veghorst as, as the number 10. Yeah, he did. So yeah. He wasn't moving into that area. He was picked into that area as yeah. almost like a rebound board for them to go up to him, back yeah. into midfield from him, and then through to Rashford. So he did end up in that position still, but it wasn't by the, the Kane movement. It was by being picked by Ten Hag there. Yeah. There you go. So, I don't know. Look, it, it's ifs, buts and maybes at the moment. It could even be Harry Kane's agent playing a few games with the press. You never know, because it wouldn't be unheard of. But again, it's, it's a case of watch this space. On to the next one, gentlemen. England under 21 glory. How long has it been? 30 years since they won under 21s? 40 years? 39 years, something like that? 39 years it was, I think. 39 years. Yeah. Remarkable achievement. Fantastic. Lee Carsley's done a miraculous job. In terms of the... I, I didn't get to watch the tournament, unfortunately, gentlemen. I saw highlights of the final. Were there any players, if you guys saw it, were there any players that stood out for you? To be fair, I only watched, watched the final. I didn't watch the tournament at all. Um, but the finals, I, I did watch. And I thought they were good, England. I thought they were compact. I thought they they crashed from the front. Um, a lot of their players obviously are playing in the first team at their, you know, at their club. So they're they're good quality, you know. So um, yeah, they they deserve to win. I thought it would be Howard Bellis for me. Um, again, we've already touched on how the game is changing. About three or four years ago, but we've actually seen in the last eight months what Pep Guardiola has done to John Stones, yeah. uh, an elegant defender going into midfield and then staying in there and even ended up on the front line. Harwood Bellis is obviously, he's been at Burnley, uh, but he is in the city stable, but he is very much 
2023 that will go through to 2030 uh, as an elegant centre-half that can go into midfield and take the ball and he's got the size of a centre-half when he's in there but he's got the technical ability of a centre-midfielder when he gets in there just like a younger version of John Stone so that was the one that really caught my my eye um, and I think obviously it's, it's a lot of good work that's gone in in academies for about 15 years, 20 years yeah. or more which has allowed these players to come through at the right time and uh, they could all pass they could all take the ball. And I think there's been a lot of good work going on, not only just at St George's Park, but at every academy in the country, bringing these players through, playing the right way. Yeah, I second what he says there, because you do when you do go watch academy academy games, I mean, I watched a few last year. This is under 18, because my mates down there at West Ham, Kevin Keane, and obviously they won it, the FA Youth Cup. Did you win that FA Youth Cup, Steve? Yeah, 2008-2008-2008-2008-2008-2008-2008-2008-2008-2008-2008-2008-2008-2008-2008-2008-2008-2008-2008-2008-2008-2008-2008-2008-2008-2008-2008-2008-2008-2008-2008-2008-2008-2
or maybe a, a make weight for a signing uh, for Casado to go the other way. I think this lad has got so great much talent. Good, he had a great season last year at Brighton. Mm. I was impressed with him, and he was good on the day as well. For the, the only, like I said, the only game I watched was the final, and I thought he was good. Obviously, the penalty, I thought it was a bit harsh, but you see that every week now. Penalties going that way when you don't, you know, people clearing the ball, players behind them, you don't even know if they're behind you or not. And if you touch him, you go down, and, you know. So um, he's a good player overall. I thought he was good, good on the day. Like, like Steve said, they're all comfortable on the football. They all can push in and pass the ball well. They're not scared of it, you know. They're not, scared. They're not even scared if someone's like five yards, ten yards off you. Give them the ball and then we start play. And, it, and it's, it's good to see. And there's a couple of names who quite actually quite surprised that they were even in the squad. I did, like I said, I didn't follow the tournament, but when I saw the team sheets and I saw Angel Gomez that was at Man United's academy and then he ended up at uh, Lille. Lille and I think he was on loan at Boavista, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Another player who, you know, I, I can see him coming back to the Prem. I imagine he will. Um, that's where you want to be if you're a young player. And if you can't get in at a certain age and you go into Europe to still play a, a great club at a fantastic level, I'm sure you're doing your best for that club who are showing faith in you. But I'm sure the end game is to try and develop yourself or get developed to come back to a, to, to the English Premier League because that's where the best players want to play. Yeah. Yeah, I was impressed with him. He started the game well. I know he got the, the booking early on, but he stayed matured and didn't give away too many fouls. But he was good. Yeah, very good. Used the ball well. Bright future, England. Bright future. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, before we talk about Declan Rice and his move to Arsenal, which looks like it's imminent, there's, I'm going to go left field with this one because <coughs> I saw something about Paul Pogba today in the press. And it's almost as the lad just can't catch a break at the moment. He, he had an injury, came back, lasted 24 minutes for Juventus, and, and that was it. And he's basically come out to say, you know, when you're not focused or well in the head, the body follows. And he, I know he's had problems for the past four or five years. Um, I think he missed over 100 games for United in the six years that he was there, which you think about is a lot of games. Um, well, I think his contract runs out at Juventus in 2026. Apparently, there's interest from a, a, a Saudi club. But he's had two operations on his right ankle and his knee. He's got his brother being investigated over an alleged plot to extort money from him. And obviously the, the short comebacks haven't helped this guy. I feel sorry for the guy. Honestly, I, I don't, I've never had any ill feeling towards him, honestly. And I, I genuinely feel sorry for him because granted, you know, it's, you, can, you can argue about the money that these players get, whatever, but the, the psychology and the wellness and everything around it, it's, it's all come to the, the fore now, hasn't it, for the guy? And I, I don't know. I, like I said, I, I feel for him. I genuinely feel for him. I'll let you take this one on, Steve. Um... Well, he's, he's achieved so much, but possibly could still be classed as an underachiever because of, you know, the, the, the wages and what people expect from him and him still being a young man and definitely being in the potential phase. But I think we've seen the best of him still. Mm. Um, and I don't wish that on him in any shape or form, but I think the way he wants to play which is energetic, obviously all arms and legs and skill, and ideally box to box. 
even though managers want you to sometimes keep discipline and stay in a position, I think when you get to um, the, the late part of your 20s and you're mentioning knee operations, ankle operations, and you keep breaking down, I don't see a happy ending here, I've got to say. Um, it has been done before. Players have ended up getting getting through and you can get another four or five years of it. But there's too much trauma around him at the moment that suggests to me that I think he's on an upward curve of his career. I actually think we've seen the best of him. And let's not forget, we're talking about a World Cup winner here. So yeah. if he never played football again, he's achieved greatness. But I think we'll always be saying, what could he have been as opposed to what he's done? Yeah, I agree in that sense. I mean, he came back to Man United and, um, you know, you, you, you was expecting so much more over the three, four seasons that he was at Man United. You know, and not saying that he didn't deliver, he just delivered in spats. You know, he was good at one point and then all of a sudden you wouldn't see him again and then he'll get sent off. Or, you know, I, I expected a lot more from him, to be honest, when he was when he came back the second time, you know. Um, I mean, he went to Juventus, won the league, I think, two or three times uh, when Juventus was dominating, you know, like Steve said, World Cup winner. Um, when I did my pro licence, he, he was in, the, he was in the, um, the French squad that won the under-20s, I think. And uh, we went out there and... To be fair, he was like magical, you know, great, great footballer, good leader on the pitch. You can see all the players around him, you know, you know, six foot tall, six foot five. When they see him play, he's like, you know, he had that presence about him. He was calm, controlling the game. And then he come back to Man United, you know, and you're expecting so much more. And I don't know what it is. I don't know whether it's the Premier League, that the Premier League is, it's, it's, it's a different league than what's, Italy is and, and the demands and I don't think he could handle the demands week in and week you know that he's playing every week and he, I don't think he could he could handle that you know I really didn't I just thought he, you know you see him some weeks and he looked really brilliant and the next week you he was a shadow of himself you know but like Steve said he, he is he has won everything in the game so he's not had a bad career but you just expect more from him because of what he's done and what what you you look at him and go, wow, he had everything, good size, two good feet. You'd see him pick a pass out, you go, wow, you know. Um, so you, you, I just expect him a little bit more when he came back to Old Trafford. Can I put you both on the spot and ask a question? Yes. Okay. You guys have obviously coached a bag of talented players. I know who, who Steve has coached. There's there's one lad in particular that is is phenomenal footballer. But um, in terms of the, the raw talent that you've seen, I'm not talking about the, the fully developed talent. I'm talking about the raw talent. Like, I'll give you an example, like Ravel Morrison, right? Raw talent, phenomenal, but just didn't reach the levels. But in terms of raw talent, which players would you say have stood out who you've seen, you know, who you've coached on that training ground? Well, I'll do it quickly and then I'll... I'll, I'll, uh, I'll um, do his thing... Um, I talk, I talk glowingly and fondly about Phil Foden and Kieran Trippier because they're both in the England squad at the moment. They're both at the top of the Premier League. Uh, Kieran's captain of England. And I'm very fond of, of, of both the lads and their families. I'd have to say that Daniel Sturridge um, at, at, at 16 was, was, um, 
we were 11 straight wins as an under-18 team, with Daniel not part of that. Um, he was he was the same age, but he was a pro, and he wasn't playing on the Saturday mornings. And when the Youth Cup came around, we had the dilemma of him saying to us, I'd like to play, but we, we're, we were 11 straight wins on a Saturday morning. And obviously, you know, we're very loyal. We thought, you know, we had a decision to make, that, you know, we're going to have to drop one of our centre-forwards here if, if Daniel Sturridge plays in the Youth Cup. So it didn't necessarily sit right with us. But uh, And it wasn't my decision because I was a young coach there at the time. But when he came and trained uh, within half an hour, whilst the players on the Platte Lane training pitch were all outstanding, the centre-forwards were great, that was something completely, completely mesmerising. That's probably the, the best word I could I could say. And they don't come along too often. And again, he probably falls in the Pogba category of great player, achieved plenty, but you're probably going to you know, talk about him now saying should still be playing, should have achieved more. But to be actually mesmerised by a young footballer, for me to say that about him, suggests that I think he was, uh, he, he was a special talent. So Trippier Foden, obviously, um, but I think it would be Daniel Sturridge for me. Brilliant. I mean, fantastic. I mean, Steve, I'm not going to compete with Steve because he'd been in that, he was in that environment a lot longer than me. I mean, I was lucky enough to, to coach at West Ham and um, do the reserve team at West Ham, bit of youth team as a fitness coach, but more when I was reserve team manager. And um, obviously, young players like Mark Noble that were just coming through. And, you know, I'm not saying that I coached them, but when they used to come back down into the, to the resis, you know, I had them kind of players who were good. You know, you see what kind of career Mark had. Um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't put myself on the same level as Stephen coaching young players in that way. I mean, I've been blessed enough to be around players, even like when I was starting off. And um, the rawest player I ever saw was John Barnes, and I was like 15, and we used to travel on the train, and he came in and he was Come like, on, "That's a name. Come on." Level, but he was just. He was just, he was just a young, young lad come out of school and picked up on the street and he used to come in, and I think he played two, two reserve team games, and then he was thrown into the first team and never looked back. And um, that oh, did just, he did he end up taking your place then, being the same position? <laughs> no, 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 you know what it's like. He was a couple. I, I never played for Watford first team. So, right. but he, I was only an apprentice. He was like a year older than me, but he was like, he just come in, never done an apprenticeship. Right. He just come straight in with someone spotted him playing a local park and then he came into the club. And then all of a sudden, he was like knocking on the door. I remember going over to Leighton Orient to watch him because obviously my, my family's home is, is around the corner from Leighton Orient. So it was a reserve team game. And uh, what we were playing, he played his first game at Leighton Orient. And uh, he smashed one in the top corner. He was unbelievable. And then on the Saturday, he played um, for the first team. And in that year, Watford played uh, Man United in the FA Youth Cup final. And it was then it was over two legs. Mm. And um, he played in that. He played in the two legs. I think it ended up 7 6, I think. And yeah. Man United had. Norman Whiteside, Mark yeah. Hughes, yeah, you, you know, and then, you know what I mean, um, Watford had like um, John Barnes, Dave Johnson, Riley Palmer, they were like players coming up, but no one at the level as um, 
of, of John was, John was brilliant, you know, brilliant. So, I can't, can't, can't compare Steve. Uh, yeah, but come on, John Barnes, man, that's a, that's a name in itself. The fact that you were you were playing alongside him, that's that's only in trade. Levels, you know. Only in trade. <laughs> well, you know, that's that's, that's enough. Listen, I, I I kicked the ball once with uh, Michael Thomas uh, oh. on a beach in Cyprus. That's that's it. I, I just kicked, I just passed the ball to him. That's all I did. That's, that's all I did. Right foot, yeah. first time. That's all I did, and that was it. I walked off. Still, you yeah. didn't kick it, and then say, and, and Thomas must score. <laughs> 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 Thomas oh, charging through the midfield. Thomas, it's up for grabs now. Thomas, God bless Brian Moore. God bless his soul. Um, okay, let's let's talk about. Oh, is he gone? <laughs> oh, is, he, is he gone to recreate the goal? <laughs> <laughs> I'm here, man. Okay. My light. I have to turn my light on. I'm joking, bro. I'm joking. Sorry, <laughs> nice. Nice. Right, gentlemen, let's talk about Mr. Declan Rice. Declan Rice looks like he's definitely heading to Arsenal now. Weeks and weeks and weeks of speculation. Um, it looks like the contract is being done. Steve, you've told me your thoughts on the move. First of all, before we we've got to Alex, because Alex, I, I assume you you got an affinity for for West, West Ham, Mind having you. been there. Yeah. You know. Steve, in terms of where it pushes Arsenal to the next level. I'm not going to ask you, but I'm interested to know um, the, the pressure that will be that will be on the player, not only to perform, but also to meet Arsenal's social media requirements, because this is something that he's very good at at the moment. We've seen the, the Muller-Rice advert, which is constantly looping on the television now, but in terms of keeping up with that brand presence, how do you think he's going he's gonna to cope with it? Well, he'll definitely cope with it because he's an absolute camera jockey. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Um, <laughs> he'll have to um, he'll have to get his goalkeeper mate Aaron Ramsdale out of the way of the camera first before he can get near one, though. So they've got two together there. Uh, but I will say that he is a fantastic young man. Uh, certainly not a young lad, a young man. Uh, and like we touched on last week, whether that's a midfield player. Um, holding the middle of the pitch, driving driving through gaps that he sees um, and then dropping into the defensive line where he can be a defender. Or even if he drops into the defensive line and steps forward, I think they've got something. I think he's missing, obviously, the switch of play. And I think he's got uh, the last pass uh, well short in his game. But might, that might not be what's required of him. It might be just to feed it to uh, Kai Havertz, um, Obviously, the two wide players they've got, you know, so, and if you can get the ball into Odegaard, he might just be the, the starter of play and to be that man when the opposition have got it to screen and break up play. He's the best at what he does domestically at the moment. So, in terms of confidence, he's not shy. And in terms of living up to it, I've no doubt. I think these young players, I think they're ready for it now because they're in these academies at the age of about six. Yeah. Some of them even younger than that. I think when it comes, if they're at that level still, I don't think it's 50-50, will they be able to handle it or not? I think they can almost definitely handle it. And that's for living up to Arsenal's social media. He's heaven sent for it, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> Correct. Hey, listen, the, the camera jockey one got me. It got well, me. Not, like, <laughs> well, there's, a, there's an old, there's an old phrase. Let, let's, let's, let's get the first thing, the most important thing. He seems a really good lad. Right. And he can play. Yeah. He can play. Yeah. He, he can play. 
And actually, there's yeah. nobody else. The reason what makes it sets him apart, there's not too many like him. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So, you know, you think it's a role that you can fill quite easy, but there's not two or three players like him. So that tells you that he's very, very good. But in old-fashioned, like, I don't know, me being a supporter, he definitely knows where the camera is. Mm. He loves it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Come on, Alex. <laughs> well, I'm a West Ham man, so I think I think he's the best out there. You know, I, I, I do. And when I... Like, i got a couple of people down there which I know, who know well, and they said he's like, his temperament is brilliant. Um, he controls that changing room. Everybody loves him. You know what I mean? He, he gives 100% in everything that he does. You know, so... Um, you just wish him all the best, and you'll be, you know, I'm glad he's going to Arsenal, obviously. But um, he wants to try and think he's going to win more at Arsenal. So I wish him all the best. But, uh, you know what I mean? He, he's got everything. You know, he's, don't forget, he's an, he's an international, like one of the first names on the team sheet, anyway. You know, so um, media size, he can control whatever comes his way. You know, he, he's. He's perfect, man, for me. He's, he, you can see what he's like in the final. Do you know what I mean? He, I'm not saying that it was his best ever game for West Ham, but he's always there at the right moments. Yeah, I like the fact that he's always available at this yeah. stage of his career. He, want, he looks like always. he wouldn't want to be brought off. He wouldn't miss a minute's training. Yeah. He's always available. You can re, you can rely on him. And they're, they're worth the wait in gold. He's, yeah, he's set plays. Yeah, he'll, be, he'll mark one of the other team's biggest. Um, yeah, a, re yeah. a really yeah, yeah. reliable player. Yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a manager's dream. Yeah. You know what I mean, you have one or two of them in your side, you know you've got a chance. And that's why they're buying him. You know, Arsenal, a couple of Arsenal players last season went missing at the key moments. You know what I mean? He don't go missing. Mm. You know, whether you're in a relegation fight or whether you're pushing for a European place like they were a couple of seasons ago. You know, they could count on him. And this year, when they when they needed him, he, he just turns out games. He just keeps turning out games. You know, he's like, he said, you never see him like running to miss games. He's there again next week, midweek. Funnily enough, it just I just thought, though, he, he did miss the Manchester City away game. And I bet that had nothing to do with him, with a, no, with a, a stomach bug. Yeah. Kept him nice and fresh for the following weekend when he was the best player and he got, helped the team get three points, I think. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, good management. Pick your moments. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The thing is with Declan Rice, I think with the exception of probably Paul Ince and maybe Jermaine Defoe, West Ham fans are very forgiving and they're, they're willing to you know, applaud their former players. Like Joe Cole, they accepted him. You know, he went to Chelsea, but you know, fine, no problem. Julian Dix, I think he left to go to Liverpool and then he went back to West Ham, didn't he? So I'm just guessing here that oh, oh he's gone. He's come back. There we go. Um, I'm just assuming that you know when De the move happens with Declan Rice, the West Ham fans won't begrudge him, especially given the fact that he guided them to a to a European trophy. Ah, oh, they'll love him, man. He's because he's done it the right way. Do you know what I mean? He could have went last year, and um, whether the agreement was, and it seemed like it, the agreement was Ruben and the that you know he would go the following season. If someone came in, you know, we had that gentleman agreement and everyone's stuck to what they've said. Um, the supporters know that he wants to go and win things and or he wants to go and try and better himself at another 
you know, a better club. Um, and I think they'll 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 let you go. You know, there's only one or two ex-players that have come back to Hammers and they've got hammered, proper hammered. You know, and we know one of them anyway. Um, but usually, usually they they let you go, and they and if they know that you've done well for them, they give you they give you a good reception when you come back. So it's a it's a great club. And I think what you said is pretty much spot on in terms of how he's handled the situation. We've seen it so many times with with certain players leaving their clubs to go to rivals or other clubs. It happened with with my team in Cyprus. One of our best players left and. He went to our rivals and ended up being a very successful player. But it's the manner in which it happens. And um, he's, he's been professional about it. He's kept his mouth shut. He hasn't given any hints whether he's staying or going. He's not left fans on, on the edge of a cliff. And I think he's, he's gone about things the right way. And I think the club have handled it well from a financial element because they, they could have been bullied by Arsenal. They could have been. But you know, they said, no, we, we've got a price for him. And you do it... Our way, it's our price, it's our structure. That's how it is. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, especially when they only offered our meal at the start, and then Man City came in and offered. I'm not sure what Man Man City offered. Manchester City offered therefore ninety, wasn't it? Ninety, and then all of a sudden it's like Man City don't mess around. They just go ninety mil straight away. You know, and that was did, what they did. City what, did City really want them though, or did did uh, Arteta call? Guardiola. Yeah, I'm not going to go into this. It's been done to death. Yeah, this this conversation with well, this with this particular subject I just brought up. I'm not going to go into that one. It's been done yeah, to death. Yeah, you never know what goes on behind the scenes. Mm, of course, of course, absolutely, absolutely. Well, gentlemen, thank you ever so much for your time. It's been a, another great show. Thank you, Alex, for for jumping on. Thank you, thank Steve, you. for thank sorting you, it out and, and your time as well. It's been brilliant. I hope we could do this again. Together, so. yeah. Thank you very and maybe, much. maybe Rodri will be polite enough to join us. You know, <laughs> shame on him. I think he's gone fishing or something, hasn't he? He's gone fishing okay. or sheep shearing. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, I shouldn't say because he's not here. He can't defend himself, but I'll, I'll get him anyway. There you go. <laughs> Well, boys and girls, thank you for tuning in. Give us a follow on Twitter and Instagram. It's going to be in the description. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, everyone, watching and, and uh, contributing. And we'll be back next week. There you go. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us.